Hey, this is Dave DeBoe. Would you like to access private capital so that you can buy more properties and scale your real estate business? Then check out my brand new podcast. It's called the How to Raise Capital 101 Show. Now, the first nine episodes are a mini course on how to raise six figures in a matter of weeks and seven figures in a matter of months, even if you're starting from scratch. So you can find this new show. Again, it's called the How to Raise Capital 101 Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Or feel free to visit us at RaiseCapital101Show.com. Hey everyone, Dave DeBoe here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in all the way from sunny California, we've got Mr. Howard Klein Esquire, a legitimate Esquire. Howard is, <laughs> you know, a lot of people throw Esquire around kind of loosey-goosey there, Howard, but... Howard is a real estate lawyer with over four decades of experience in the field. He's focused on a lot of different realms when it comes to real estate law, especially working with commercial clients and and things like that. But what we're going to be talking about here today is how to avoid lawsuits, right? How to avoid, you know, going to court and all of the pain and the expense involved with that. And Howard, a lot of our listeners are Americans. A lot of them are Canadians. Up here in Canada, we've got the assumption that people are a lot more Sioux happy in the States than they are in Canada. However, we're starting to catch up with you. So I think this is going to be very, very applicable for both our American and Canadian listeners. So Howard, welcome to the call. Well, thank you very much, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on the call. Excellent. So Howard, why don't we just jump right into it? And why don't you tell us a few of the things that you see your clients or other people getting into, hot water that they're getting into, that's causing them to have lawsuits thrown at them. And then we'll talk about how we can avoid that and or deal with it without necessarily having to go before a judge in court. Well, first of all, let me add that in real estate transactions or anything having to do with real estate, it tends to exacerbate the disputes that arise. It's going to happen. Hmm. Whether you have a lease that's three years, 10 years, 20 years, whether or not you're depending upon the amount in question, if you're purchasing something for $100,000 or $100 million. Legitimate disputes arise. Attorneys, we've, as someone who drafts agreements and also litigates them, you can't write a perfect agreement. Somewhere along the line, someone's going to have a disagreement. The better you draft the agreement, the more you anticipate the likely disputes, the better you're able to avoid them to begin with. I always like to say, what's the best way of avoiding disputes? It's choosing the right person that you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, That's number one. So, <laughs> sounds, sounds a little bit like marriage. Oh, absolutely. You <laughs> got to do your due diligence. Once you've done your due diligence and pay attention to that, then try to come to an agreement and draft the agreement properly. But no matter how well you do that, yeah. disputes are going to arise. Yeah, and, and the, the more deals you do, the more you get yourself out there, the more likely this is to happen, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. So 
What you really need to do is anticipate that a dispute's going to arise and try to put into the agreement something that allows for a very quick, or when I say very quick, it's relatively speaking, a quick resolution of whatever the disputes are. And it's really a system that you need to set up. In today's day and age, I suppose it was always the same, but I've been practicing law 46 years. And it just seems worse now Hmm. than it ever was. It's always been expensive. And I've had clients 30 years and they'll come back to me and say, you know, Howard, you've always told me whatever you do, try to avoid a lawsuit. Part of my living over the last actually six decades has been resolving these disputes predominantly in court. But boy, is it expensive. And eventually clients don't like to pay that money. It's better money. Well, that's that's the infamous saying, right? The only people that make any money in a lawsuit typically are the lawyers, right? That's often that's the case. That's not my goal as an attorney. My goal as an attorney is to get the client what they want, plus whatever else I can get them. That's my goal. You're working for your client in that case, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if the client is owed a half a million dollars, I don't want the client to spend $100,000 to collect the half a million. That may happen. Mm -hmm. But basically, if the client's going to spend $100,000 on me in attorney's fees and costs, I'd like to get the client their half a million dollars plus whatever they spent on me. That's the goal. Right. I don't always accomplish that, but that's the goal. So what you really want to do is try to avoid the lawsuit. And as I said, you do it, one, by doing your due diligence and dealing with the right people, and two, writing an agreement, and three, including in the agreement some sort of process to resolve those disputes that very often will arise. Okay, well, let's unwrap that a little bit, if you don't mind, Howard. So first of all, with your many years of experience, what are some quick tips you can give people about doing due diligence on the folks that they're going to be getting into agreements with? What would you tell somebody who's kind of new to this if they're all excited about doing a deal with somebody or bringing somebody, joining forces with somebody, doing a joint venture, whatever it is, or doing a lease with somebody, how can we do some decent due diligence on the other person? Well, there's all kinds of stuff available, Lexus, Nexus, there's online, there's a wealth of information. You could research whether or not someone's got a Facebook page or a Twitter account or LinkedIn. And so you can just do your own research online. You can do more in-depth research and get an asset report. Asset reports without the attorney should cost $200, $250. Then you need someone competent to analyze that information. You can get a credit report and you put that all together. What you do, the full amount of due diligence you do really depends upon what the value of the deal is. Mm -hmm. If the value of the deal is $25,000, I know that you want to spend $2,000 doing due diligence. If the value of the deal is a half a million dollars or more, it probably makes sense to spend 
you know, $500 to $1,000 or maybe a little bit more. And it really doesn't, in today's day and age, it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. And to me, the due diligence is so important because from about 2008 to about 2017, I was doing a lot of post-foreclosure work for a special servicer. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't believe the instances where the prior owner had no clue who the tenant was. Their attitude was, if you can fog a mirror, yeah. you can be a tenant. Right. And I would get guarantees. All of a sudden, I'd have to look at the files, and I would get guarantees by people who, a Chinese national, who had no assets in the United States. <laughs> and I would, I would have to go to the client and say, you know, I don't know if you want me going to China to try to collect assets in China. I have no idea how to do it. And they only owe $100,000. So most likely you're going to spend more than you'll get back. So maybe that's not going to work. We've had instances where they had no clue who the actual tenant was. I, we would come in after foreclosure and it's like, Someone that we've never heard of is actually occupying the premises. So it really got scary in the early to about 2016. Nobody paid attention. Just go, go, go. Wow, that's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's run out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code podcast. That's right. Discount code podcast at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. All right. So doing due diligence, very, very important. Doesn't need to be super in-depth. Well, what about litigation? I mean, what are some of the red flags that you're looking for, advising your clients to be on the lookout for? When it comes to doing that due diligence? Well, you want to see whether or not they actually have the assets that they claim to have. Right. You want to make sure that there's something that you can collect from. Not only that, there's something to collect from that would have them avoid filing bankruptcy and having your debt discharged. So there's a little bit more, oh, okay, they got three properties. You know, that's what they said they have three properties, but are the properties worth more or less? And in the next 10 years, or depending upon the length of the loan, et cetera, you know, what's the likelihood that the property may end up being less and you're going to get nothing? So you want to know if they've got assets and whether or not the assets are collectible. You want to know whether or not, when I say collectible, I mean whether or not they're in the what country. Mm. 
It, yeah, you don't want really, to be going off to China to try and collect, like you said. Right? right. It doesn't really make any difference if the asset, if the property is located in California and the assets are in New York. Mm-hmm. For the most part, it's not difficult to have a judgment entered in another state once you've gotten it entered into one state. So that's not really the issue. But you're looking for collectible assets and whether or not the person's telling the truth, if they have had bad deals, if they pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Basic stuff. Sounds good. All right. So we've done due diligence. Let's say we've hired a crackerjack attorney to put together a good agreement. Now, one of the things you're saying is make sure you include in that agreement stipulations about how disagreements are going to be handled. So let's talk a little bit about that because that's the crux of the matter here, Howard. Right. Well, I recommend some sort of process where the parties will, if they can't work things out among themselves, Mm -hmm. then some sort of process where they agree to mediate. There's no reason not to mediate unless it's an unlawful detainer action and you have to act super fast. So the first step in the process is to have some sort of agreement to mediate. And I've seen triggering events that require people either before they file a lawsuit, they have to make a demand to mediate. Otherwise, they don't get attorney's fees if they file a lawsuit. Okay. I like that triggering event. And then the other person has to agree to mediate. Otherwise, they won't get their attorney's fees, even if they win a lawsuit later on. So all of a sudden, there's that motivation. Let's see. Where I've seen the biggest lack of process in mediation provisions, and this has become a really big point for me, is that there's everybody wants this short one paragraph thing. I don't want to spend money. I don't want to read, you know, three, four pages. So they just have, okay, you have to demand and you have to accept. Otherwise, you won't get attorney's fees. Where I've seen huge problems is, well, what happens next? Mm. Yeah, and what mediation doesn't work, or, or how does mediation look, I guess? Huh? How does mediation look? Mm-hmm. How much time does someone have to respond to? How quickly do you have to move? What are the steps, intermediate steps? And I've seen standard, for instance, the California Association of Realtors have as a lease. And unfortunately, people use that. And it has a mediation provision. And it says, okay, You have to demand and you have to accept, otherwise you won't get attorney's fees. And then it's got nothing else. Hmm. So as an attorney, I sit there and I look, okay, how do I force the other party to proceed to mediation? There's no process. So what you have to do is you have to go to court to have a judge tell you what the process is. What a pain in the butt. So what does a perfect mediation process look like? Well, there's a timing element. First, a demand has to be made Mm -hmm. and the response has to be filed or responded to and received within a certain period of time. Once those triggering events happen, then the parties must get together within a certain period of time, whatever you agree to, Mm -hmm. all right, and they must choose an arbitrator. And there's various different types of 
methods to choose, or not an arbitrator, a mediator. There's various methods of choosing mediators. Usually the leases say, well, it could be jams, end dispute, AAA, et cetera, and the mediator must have experience in this. I don't know that you have to get that specific, but there's basically a process where each party submits a number of different mediators, there's an elimination, and you end up with one. And then there's a timing element. Well, you have to notify that mediator, they have to accept, etc. And then the mediator must proceed within this time period unless both parties agree otherwise. And that's how they proceed. And you have to understand, when I say there's no reason not to mediate when you get to that point, The world of mediation has changed in my lifetime. It used to be just someone who is out there and says, okay, can I get you guys to agree? Mediation is a very and highly psychological skill set that tries to get the parties to get rid of all of the emotional parts and Get the parties to agree on something because it's usually the emotional part. I must win. Right. Right. So there's it's just totally different than how it was when I started. And hopefully you can come to some sort of agreement. It doesn't have to be in one session. It's easily done remotely, which I think is great. Yeah, you can do it on Uh, Zoom now. Yeah. Right. Right. So a lot of that can be done. So that's the whole process. And if you can't come to an agreement within a certain period of time and the agreement should be in writing, Mm -hmm. then you go to arbitration. So what's the difference between mediation and arbitration? Mediation is generally non-binding. It's just trying to get the people to come to some sort of agreement. Okay. Arbitration is basically a private court process. So where I sit as an arbitrator, in essence, I'm sitting as a judge. It doesn't mean I can't try to get the parties to agree, Mm -hmm. because I usually at some point in time say, if you force me to it, most likely somebody's going to be unhappy. And the advantage of arbitration is if you go into court today, in most jurisdictions, just to have a hearing on a dispute regarding whether or not you have to produce documents or not, that hearing is usually set three months in advance. Yeah. And then it's just so cumbersome now, it's difficult to get anything done. It's really easy for someone to just block everything mm-hmm. and force the other party to spend money, whereas an arbitrator particularly as it relates to remote arbitrations, the parties could send me an email. I could set a hearing the next day and say, okay, if you need to give me briefs, I'd like briefs within what time? Seven days. And then we set the hearing a day after that. I mean, I don't more streamlined. Oh my gosh. And if you do it remotely, there could be attorneys in New York, And there can be an attorney in China, for all you know, England. It doesn't really make any difference. It's just such a fluid process. And it's so much less expensive, generally. I mean, there are times it can be. And it depends upon how sophisticated you want the arbitration to be. 
Well, that makes sense. Perfect. Well, Howard, time flies when we're having fun. And <laughs> I don't know how fun talking about, you know, lawsuits, mediation and arbitration is, but it's very, very important to have a good grasp of this. If people want to find out more about you and how you can potentially help them out with these kind of things, what should they do? Well, you can contact me either send me an email at Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D at T-K-G-A-D-R.com. That's T-K-G-A-D as in David, R as in Robert, dot com. Or you can call me at 702-706-4433, and that's a Las Vegas number. Perfect. The mediation arbitration service is based out of Las Vegas. The law practice is based out of Southern California. Excellent. Howard, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom and experience with us today. Thank you for inviting me, Dave. My pleasure. All right, everybody. Take care, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.